we um, are going to look at uh, the book of Colossians, and we're going to spend some time in chapter 1. I, will, I have the privilege to preach uh, four times uh, this summer here. I preach uh, this week, and then I will preach three weeks in July. My hope is to do what we did last summer with Galatians, where we, where we went through uh, just a, a piece of each chapter for those four weeks. So this, uh, this week we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, and then when we get to July we'll look at Colossians 2, 3, and then 4. As we prepare for that, though, many of us are familiar with the, the part of Psalm 34, 8, which, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, I can show you my mug that's filled with amazing dark goodness that we call coffee. I mean, you can smell the beautiful aroma that quickly fills the air. But it's not until you taste it that you have a, a more complete knowledge of a cup of coffee. I mean, you can see it, you can smell it, oh, but, but there's that taste. My little children often think they like coffee until they taste it, until they have that complete knowledge. But, but we often hear phrases or sayings or we see quotes or we, re, we recite things without a complete understanding of, of what we're actually even saying. And, and for me, I, I can think back to an example that, that really distinctly sticks out in my mind. As, as a child, I attended a, a Lutheran church, and, and we would recite either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed each week. Oh, oh, how I love the creeds. I, I still love the creeds. And maybe it's, maybe it's the flow or the sense of poetry, or, or maybe it was the fact that we would all recite it together as a congregation. But it impacted me. And my favorite, my favorite was the Nicene Creed. And this passage of Scripture, this Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, um, it, it, it plays a, a huge part when they were coming up and, and writing the Nicene Creed. It, it was one of the primary texts that they, that they used. And if you're not familiar with the Nicene Creed, let me read it for you this morning. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Of one being with the Father, through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now, as beautiful as the Nicene Creed is, and I still love to read it through. 
It is not the words that we read in Scripture. It is not the words that we read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And if we want a complete picture, we need to look at Scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. This is what God's Word says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now a little background before we really begin. And... Paul writes this letter to the house church at Colossae because a, a disciple of his, Epaphras, needs some help. Uh, false teaching is, is threatening the church, and Epaphras, who was probably the founder of the church, is reaching out to Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. Now, we don't need to spend a whole lot of time this morning looking at the direction of the false teaching. But, but we can kind of see, if we look at Colossians 2.18, we can, we can kind of see that, that they were pushing and leaning towards some angelic worship. But, but the false teaching isn't our concern this morning. What, what the issue is, what we need to look at, is that they're pushing Christ to the edges. He's no longer in His rightful place. They're using other things in his place. They're worshiping other things in his place. They're looking at other things instead of him. They're focused on other things. He's not in his rightful place. We also need to address that this section of Paul's letter, these verses 15 through 20, raise some questions in the overall nature of its origin. Because these verses share this elevated language, a specific vocabulary, even a rhythmic cadence, it seems to be an insertion into Paul's letter. It, it suggests that this is some Christological hymn, that it's creedal in its own nature. And, and so the question arises, did Paul insert a pre-existing hymn, or did, or, or did he stick a creed in, or did he compose the, the entire passage himself? spent a good bit of time reading and looking through that very question, and I find myself agreeing with the view that this is all Paul. However, no matter which view you lean towards, Paul is using this confession as a platform to launch an attack on the false teaching, this false view of where Christ should be and what was going on at the church. I mean, Paul comes back to the very question that Jesus himself asked in Matthew 16, 15. But who do you say that I am? I mean, this is a question that was divisive when Jesus asked it. Brothers and sisters, it's just as divisive now. 
Now our text this morning is broken up into two sections. The first is, is Christ and creation, and the second is Christ and the church. In verses 15 through 17, we see phrases like, Who is the image of God? Firstborn of all creation. For in Him and through Him. In verses 18 through 20, we see phrases like, Who is the head of the body? Firstborn of the dead. For in Him and through Him. There are parallel affirmations that that basically serve as the framework for the rest of the statements in the passage. He's building off of these parallel statements. So let's look at the first section, Christ and creation. These are verses 15 through 17. Let's, Let's read them again. He's the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The image of the invisible God. John Chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. John goes on to say, God, the only Son who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Jesus is literally the exegesis of God. The word image, oh, this word image is important though. Where when, we hear, when we hear the word image, we, we may think of this representation, something like a, something like a picture. So, so we could say that Jesus is the portrait of God. But, but the, meaning goes, the meaning goes deeper. The meaning goes so much deeper. It, it goes beyond a, a portrait. It, it actually is re, re, refers, it, it's referring to this revealing of the personal character of God. It, Jesus is revealing God's character in His very being. It's not just a snapshot or, or an Instagram of Him, but, but the revelation of what God is really like. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Think, think for a moment of a letter that's being sealed. Parchment's been rolled up. The hot wax has been poured to seal the letter. And then it's stamped, or a ring is imprinted on it. Jesus is the exact impress of the essence of God. As the word image, <coughs> excuse me, as the word image places an emphasis, an emphasis on the relationship Christ has to the Father, the words firstborn of all creation, introduces a relationship to creation. Every now and then we, we get visitors that, that come to our house. You may get the same visitors that, that come to your house from time to time, and often whenever they ring the doorbell or knock on the door, people tend to, to hide from them, or they, they talk about how much they dislike their visit, but, but I've always enjoyed them. The visitors would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and they always tend to bring me gifts when they come. They bring me great magazines to look at or books to read through. 
But most of all, they bring me great conversation. The trick when they come to the door is make them want to leave more than you want to leave. I have, I have followed them to their car, continuing to talk to them. But it never fails, though. In the midst of our conversation, in the midst of our, our sometimes lengthy conversations, we always come back to Jesus. Either they are trying to lead me back to it, or I'm trying to lead them back to him. But we always come back to Jesus, and we always come back to the same idea of Jesus being firstborn of all creation. The statement of being the firstborn of all creation, at first sight, you, you may read that and you may take it as, as teaching that Jesus was the first person created. And, and this is how the Jehovah's Witnesses understand this passage, and this is where they get it wrong. You, you cannot ignore the, the context, which makes him the creator of everything, as well as the rest of the New Testament revelation, which makes him eternal. I mean, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Which, they also miss the fact that the firstborn can also mean first child, or which in this case can simply be a term that means first rank, or a term of honor. I mean, we see this in the book of Psalms, and Psalm 89:27 it says and I will make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. So when Paul calls Christ firstborn of all creation, he meant the highest honor belongs to him. This title being firstborn of all creation emphasizes his preeminence and the position of the son and the one who exercises rule over his creation. One of, my favorite, one of my favorite moments in Scripture from the time I was a small child to even as I stand here before you now is when Jesus stands in the boat and with his disciples, he silences the storm. But it's their response in, in Mark 4, verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea Obey Him. Because Jesus is the Creator. We read, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And and this was created ex nihilo, from nothing. Created from nothing. I mean, the extent of his creation is amazing. It's wonderful. And quite frankly, it's a little overwhelming. I mean, it includes the things that we can see and and touch all around us. But it includes the things of, of heaven and the invisible. I mean, it includes the angels. I mean, these descriptions of thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities are not just randomly placed here for us. I mean, they refer to these four different classes of angelic powers, and he created it all. Things that you see, things that you can't even see. Everything began with him and will end with him. All things sprang forth at his command, and all things will return to him at his command. Philippians chapter 2, verses 11. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Not some. Not only is, is Christ the Creator, He's the one that holds it all together. And in Him all things hold together. The writer of Hebrews agrees. Chapter 1, verse 3, He sustains all things by His powerful Word. By His Word He holds it together. I have enough trouble carrying grocery bags from the car. I mean, this is difficult for us to, to really comprehend the meaning of this. I mean, it, we really reach the limits of our intellectual capacity with this. Because He is God of true God. Christ's power and control extends to the edges of the universe and beyond. Christ is not contained by matter. But He holds it all together by His Word. It is okay, brothers and sisters, to be amazed by this. It's okay to step back and say, I don't understand this, or it just, I can't even comprehend it. I mean, I spend weeks and weeks reading it. I can't, I can't fathom this. There's a medieval painting which shows Christ in the clouds. And below him, there's a world of humans and, and nature, but, but from Christ to, to every object is painted a thin gold line. And the artist, it's the artist's way of saying that Christ is responsible for sustaining the existence of every created being. It's all tied back to Christ. Christ is the Lord of creation. He's the firstborn and has the highest place. He's the creator of everything. Every cosmic speck, every spirit, He's the sustainer, holding it all together. All of it. There's nothing outside of His grasp. And this is meant to stretch your minds. Let it stretch your mind. It's supposed to change the way that we think and the way that we see Christ. Instead of on the fringes, he should be at his rightful place. We're to understand this. We should never look anywhere else for the meaning or the purpose of life. Once you know something, you're now responsible for that. Brothers and sisters, you now know. And this brings us to the second part Christ and the church. Paul carries us through, verses 18 through 20. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Christ is sovereign over the church, just as He is sovereign over creation. When we became believers, we became part of Christ's body through the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit. So in Christ, we, who are many, form one body. Romans 12.5, so that we, though many, are one body in Christ. As members of His body. We're totally dependent upon the head, Christ, for direction. He is to control us. I Think for a moment about the importance of the head in relationship to your own body. 
I, I can cut off my foot, my hand, my arm, my legs, and I can still continue. But cut off the head, and, and the body dies. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Where the context in the first section spoke to his place of honor over creation, we see in this verse that Christ is firstborn precisely because he is the first to come back from the realm of the dead and to hold its power in its hand. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there could be no resurrection of others. Christ chose to enter His own creation, take on a body created and sustained by His own power, die and undergo resurrection, and so be the firstborn of the dead and first rank in salvation. He's the first in everything. He needs to be the first in everything. First place in our families, in our marriages. First place in our professions. First place in our time, in our love, in our conversations. He needs to be first in our pleasures, in our play, in the music we listen to, in the things that we watch. First place in everything. Even on a day that's that's set aside to honor fathers, he's still first place. I know it's hard. We all have the best fathers in the world. I I read it on Facebook this morning. Everybody has the best dad. But he's still first. We do not always put Jesus in his rightful place in our lives. We are quick to push him to the edges. And, And my list is incomplete. Your list may look different, but one thing would be true on all of our lists that we fall short in keeping Christ first. You and I, along with the whole creation, is in desperate need of reconciliation. We need to be restored. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Jesus is not a lesser God. He is the fullness of God. We see later in Colossians chapter 2, 9, for in Him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Fullness. The total divine power and attributes of God. Jesus Christ, as as William Nicholson writes in, in his book Colossians, Oneness with Christ, is the exhaustion of God. And it's easy to miss. It's easy to miss as we work through here that the fullness dwells in Him. It lives in Him. It's it's not temporary. It was and it is and it's there to stay. God's character is revealed through Christ. We are to look to Christ to see God's character. That is how we can see God, by looking at Christ. And God means to reconcile creation to Himself. 
Creation suffered the curse because of the fall. And we see in Romans 8, verses 19 through 22, the the sweeping terms that man's sin has subjected the creation to this uselessness, to this futility. It reads, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation will be brought back to its obedience. The land and the seas will lose their hostility and everything, everything will be reconciled except those who reject Him. This is the main focus of this verse. The reconciliation of sinners to Himself. Being married and running a household is difficult work. It's not easy. There are many different things that need to be done, running here and there and doing this and that. But do you ever feel like you're the only one doing anything around the house? I have those moments where I think to myself, why am I the only one doing anything? The rest of them are just sitting around. I just pick things up for someone else to get out and not put back. I mean, didn't I just do the dishes? Take the trash out? I mean, just because it's in the cylinder of the trash can doesn't mean it doesn't need to go out. Didn't I just do the laundry? I mean, you name it. Have those moments. But if you ask my wife, she would say she has those moments too. So how can we both have that same feeling? because we just don't notice what the other one's doing. I'm so caught up in what I'm taking care of, I miss what she's taking care of. And she's so caught up in the wonderful things that she does as a mother and a wife that she misses my efforts. Now, granted, there are weeks where one person does more than the other. Absolutely but we're both taking the initiative to keep the duties of being married and running a household. We're we're working hard. We keep working at the duties. We keep doing things that we need to do, even though that sometimes we feel like we're the only ones taking any initiative. This is not the case between God and man. I want you to see that in every reference to reconciliation between God and man, Throughout the New Testament, it is God who takes the initiative. It is all God. I'm just sitting on the couch. Ephesians 2, Romans 5, 2 Corinthians 5. Reconciliation to God is a one-sided process. He does virtually everything. All we have to do is respond. It would also be easy for us to miss that God, that God was pleased to have the fullness dwell in Jesus and through Him reconcile us. He was pleased. 
Our, our personal reconciliation took nothing less than the death of God's Son, but His death and its effect, it, it went far beyond any human death. I mean, look over at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul writes there in 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 19, it says, That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And if you look down a couple verses, down to verse 21, he writes, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, to be, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus bore the separation of sin so reconciliation could take place. He made peace by the blood of His cross. He is our peace. The cross is the ultimate evidence that there is no length. The love of God will refuse to go in, in affecting reconciliation. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also along with His graciously give us all things? He will give us all things. Romans 8.32 How then? How then, as, as Christians, should we respond to this magnificent portrait of Christ? Well, there's... The short answer is to confess Him as Lord. That He's Lord over all creation. That He's Lord over the church. That we confess Him as His rightful place in our lives as Lord. Not pushing Him off to the fringes, but His rightful place, announcing Him as Lord. Jesus, You are Lord. And this cannot be just a simple phrase that we repeat from time to time. As our understanding of Christ deepens, we need to respond in ways that reflect this new understanding. We should look different because we now know. So let me close this morning with with four things that we should be doing in our response to what we know of Christ. First is our hearts should swell with joyful thanksgiving. The Heavenly Father rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We need to show gratitude for the rescue operation that was costly beyond measure. Through the blood of His cross, we are reconciled to God and can now experience peace with God. Is your heart swelling up with joy this morning? Tomorrow's Monday. When the alarm goes off and your eyes wake and your feet hit the floor, man, where's that joy going to be? In your heart? To stay? We're quick to push them off. We're quick to push them off into the fringes. We're going to be caught up with what the week looks like, our schedules, the things that we need to do. But our hearts should swell with joyful thanksgiving. 
Second thing is our lives should reflect hope. We do not live in a universe of mystery. Even in the midst of the political craziness we find ourselves in currently, we know that this is our Father's world. A world created and preserved by the Lord Jesus. The best is yet to come. We have the promise that that Christ will unveil a glorious new creation, exceeding our wildest expectations. The hope laid up for us in heaven. Does your life reflect the hope that you have? Does your family, does your family know the hope you have? Your neighbors, your coworkers, does your life reflect the hope that you have? Not the words you speak, but the life you live. Are you living that reflects the hope that you have? Even when you speak about the political climate that we find ourselves in, are you speaking with hope? Are you speaking with dismay? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The hope laid up for us in heaven. There is hope. Third, we should willingly worship the Lord of all. Worship is no longer wearisome. There is a a renewed sense of the communion of the saints as, as we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in our hearts sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And this is not just on the Lord's day for us because every day is the Lord's day. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Brothers and sisters, are your days filled with worship? I can tell you, every day, every day of my life is filled with worship. Sometimes it's my pride. Sometimes it's my possessions. How quick, how quick I push them to the edges. But is your day filled with worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? And then lastly, we give witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Overwhelmed by the grace of God in Christ, we seek to fulfill Paul's Paul's command, Paul's calling to, to the Colossians. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most... Of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. The lost surely need a friend in Jesus. It is good if if those around you are hearing about your friend Jesus. But they also desperately need a Lord and a Redeemer. Are you putting yourself in positions to be a witness? Not not just be a friend, but to show them Christ and Christ as Lord? Depending on the circumstance, depending on the conversation, depending who I'm speaking with, He is there in His rightful place. And then sometimes the conversations get uncomfortable or the people I don't want to offend, and I push him off to the edges. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. We want a complete understanding of who Christ is. Not just a look or a smell, but a taste and all of it. The better our understanding of Christ, the closer we will be in our knowledge of the Lord of creation and the Lord of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the words that that we could read this morning from Paul's letter to the Colossians. We recognize that we are not that different. How often we look to worship and focus on other things. How often we are in our own lives will push Christ to the edges of our life instead of his rightful place of first in everything. Father, we need your help. Continue to to work in our lives. Continue to shape us. Convict us. Father, we want to be encouraged by those around us that we can pursue a life that represents Christ well. I thank you that we can come together this morning and worship as one body. But as we prepare to walk out these doors, oh, Father, remind us that the worship does not stop. The joy does not stop. Would we carry these things into the week ahead? Would those that we, that we work with, that we interact with tomorrow, oh, would they have to take a step back because of the amazement of your Son pouring out from our lives? Oh, wouldn't that be a great day? And Father, we... Most of all, thank you for your son, for his willingness to die on our behalf, his sacrifice, Father, his resurrection, that he is now at your right hand as our mediator. Father, we ask all this this morning in his name, the one that we call Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.